A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online so any small business can make a change. We need a new generation of thinking. Your way of thinking. Start different at GoDaddy.com. If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. This is an ode to the glass noodle. You may be glass only in name, but our love for you is crystal clear in every Bibigo Korean dumpling. Your tantalizing texture tickles the taste buds, and while you are see-through, the world can't help but see you. The glass noodle, one of many obsessively crafted ingredients in every plump and juicy Korean dumpling from Bibigo. Go handcrafted. Go Bibigo. Authentic Korean dumplings now in the freezer aisle. We've got a marketing mind meld going on in this episode of Confessions of a Marketer. I'm Mark Reed Edwards. Welcome back to Confessions of a Marketer. Talking with Chris Daly today. He's VP of Testing and Site Optimization at Disruptive Advertising. We chatted about psychology and marketing. That'll be up in a moment. Next few weeks, we've got some great discussions. Rob Whedon and I are talking about utilizing data in marketing next time. And I also discuss funding and marketing with renowned investor Garnett Harriman in a couple weeks. Also looking to have my buddy Ben Afia back for a chat about cutting the crap in our writing and Professor Bob McCullough of Northeastern to talk about the next generation of marketers. Okay, on to the marketing mind meld. Last time we talked about MarTech, a common subject in our business, but what about what's going on between your ears? Marketing is about psychology, understanding and responding to the way people think. My guest, Chris Daly, is steeped in this stuff, and he told me that one of the things he loves about his job is being proven wrong almost every day. It's a great chat. Let's get to it. Chris Daly, it's great to have you here on Confessions of a Marketer. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me on. It's a pleasure. You know, marketing has always been about psychology all the way back to the Mad Men days. But lately, technology seems to kind of overshadow it. In fact, last week, we talked about marketing technology here on the podcast. So how do you apply psychology to marketing to help a company improve conversion rates? Well, I think one of the biggest challenges that we have today is because technology is so good, especially when it comes to marketing technology, it becomes really easy to just rely on that to do a lot of your job for you. Uh, and so some of this, like you said, applying psychology to marketing is not new. However, it's kind of a, a rediscovery, if you will, of mm -hmm going back to the basics and using psychology in connection with this great technology that we have you know and so one of the one of the big challenges that i that i see is i talk with both marketers over here at my company with disruptive or at conferences that i go to is you know tools like facebook ads they're great at helping you identify audiences or you know new strategies that you might want to think about and if you are not already thinking through 
what is going to influence my customers if you're not already questioning why certain things work? Like when you run something in an A-B testing tool, when you run something in Facebook and the tool tells you that it works well, for me, it's going beyond just, oh, this worked and asking, why did this work? Right. What is it about this that resonated with the audience? And that's where the application of psychology can be so powerful because it gets us just beyond iterative thinking and this worked well, okay, let's do it again. This worked well, let's do it again. And gets us more thinking strategically about what it is that's resonating with our audience, what it is that they actually care about, and how we can make a bigger impact on the actual user experience. Right. So thinking about data, What are a couple, two, three ingredients you recommend that companies employ to ensure that they secure the best possible conversion rate? Well, there's a couple of kind of best practices, but before we even get into some of the best practices, you have to have, you know, going back to what you said with data, you have to have transparency with your data. You need to understand how are people engaging with, you know, specifically with your website right now? How are people engaging? What is it? Where are they dropping off on your website? How are you getting conversions currently? And so it's super important that you've got a good analytics tool, Google Analytics or Adobe or whatever analytics platform you use, and that you have good conversion tracking set up so that you can know what is working well, so that you're not just kind of guessing and shooting in the dark. Um, And then on top of that, Obviously, what my specialty is in is helping businesses test their website to increase conversions. And so with that, you can actually get additional data transparency and additional data attribution if you use a good testing tool on your website. So Google actually has a testing tool you can use called Google Optimize. It's not the best testing tool out there, but it's free. And so it's a great place to get started. Other tools that I recommend are tools like Optimizely, Visual Website Optimizer. Those are tools that you can do A-B testing on your website and you can set up conversion tracking right within the tool itself. Uh, and then it's, it, I always think it's great to have a couple of different tools that are reporting conversions so you can compare and make sure that you've got good data. So you have a testing tool that's giving you conversion data. You've got Google Analytics that's giving you conversion data. You may even have internal reporting, the CRM or something that's giving you conversion data and comparing them all against each other to really make sure you understand what's happening on your site. I mean, all, all that sounds really complicated when you explain it, but it can be as simple as, you know, with Google Analytics, you know, you, you can get that set up and verify that you're getting good data in half a day, you know, in a couple of hours even. And so, I mean, these aren't, these definitely are not difficult steps uh, to take to get that data set, you know, properly attributed and, and tracking properly. It's just something that a lot of businesses overlook sometimes, sadly. Um, and so, yeah, before you even, before you even start optimizing, before you even start trying to influence your user behavior, you want to make sure that you really understand your user behavior. One other tool that I'll just mention as well that can be really powerful is, it's a, it's a software that allows you to do heat mapping. So my favorite heat mapping tool is called Hotjar. Right. And what heat mapping tools allow you to do is it allows you to get an idea of where are people clicking on your pages? How far down the page are people scrolling? Those types of things. When, again, when you use that in connection with the Google Analytics data you have, the CRM data you have, you know, any other data, you can get a really good idea of what's happening right now. 
what are people doing right now? And then that will spark a lot of ideas for you of what could I do a better job of? Right. Let's talk a little bit about process. Anyone who's ever been around a salesperson knows that you've got to ask for the sale. If you're in politics, you've got to ask for someone to vote for you. But often, companies looking for a sale either ask too early or they never really ask for it. Do you recommend kind of well-thought-out nurturing programs, or do you have a different approach that you use? Absolutely. I think that getting an idea of where people are at in your conversion funnel is so critical. And this is one of the most overlooked parts of a marketing, a good marketing strategy with most companies that I've worked with. You know, somebody who is at an early stage of the funnel, top of the funnel, is not ready to convert yet. Right. This is when, you know, the top of the funnel is awareness. This is where you are making people aware of what it is that you do, but they may not even have a need yet at this point. You may have identified that they are a relevant demographic. So we know that, you know, our our customers are typically 25 to 55 males that work for Fortune 500 companies that are in a market, you know, a, a manager or higher position. This is our target demographic. So they are potentially a good prospect, but they may not have a need for us yet. So they are top of the funnel, right? We just want to make them aware of what we're doing. And when you have, when you're running an awareness campaign, you don't want to drive them to your sales page right. <laughs> because they're not ready to convert yet. So you may end up with really low conversion rates if you're driving everyone to your sales page. Often the landing page is they just do one landing page and it's kind of a catch-all, right? Exactly. Or your website is just focused on getting a, a demo, getting a lead, or if you're selling a product, driving them straight to the product page. And this can be good for the right people, but I see a lot of companies that drive everyone to that catch-all page, then they have low conversion rates and want someone like me to come in and help them convert more of those people. Now, you can convert more of them, and it's first important that you make sure you're sending them to the right place. So with high, high funnel traffic, people that are in the awareness stage, you want to send them to a high funnel offer, something that is not a get a demo request, you know, talk to a sales rep or whatever. You want to send them to a white paper or maybe even a blog post. Sure. You know, we send a ton of traffic to our own blog and we end up getting a lot of people that end up coming back to our site and signing up later because when they come to a blog post, a lot of companies go, well, I don't want to drive someone to a blog because it doesn't generate revenue. And that's not necessarily true. If you get someone to your blog, then you can hit them with a remarketing pixel. So once they've come to your website, now you can start remarketing to them everywhere they go. And this is extremely powerful. This is kind of the commercial of the internet sure. <laughs> where somebody has now been exposed to your brand. They've read a blog post from you. Now, every time they go to their favorite blog, to their favorite e-commerce site, to Amazon, wherever, they're going to start seeing your ads everywhere they go. And it's going to create that brand recognition for them. And then when they do finally have the need for whatever your service, whatever your product is, you immediately come to mind. Uh, my wife actually gets really annoyed by these kinds of ads. You know, we <laughs> at Disruptive, we do uh, these, these ads for ourselves. And so probably once a month, she'll say, 
Can you can you tell whoever does your ads at Disruptive to stop showing me ads? I see them every to every website I go to, <laughs> and I'm like, babe. Yeah, they're stalking yeah. me, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, babe, you came to our website and you're getting remarketed to. We're doing our job. This is good. <laughs> um, so high funnel. This can be really great because it's cheap traffic, right? And it's easy to you know, it, it's it's a very low barrier conversion. Getting someone to a blog post hardly requires any effort on the part of, of the actual prospect. And then you can start showing them ads. Now, once they're ready, you know, middle to low funnel traffic, these are people that have a need and they may be searching on Google for whatever the solution is that you're offering or whatever the product is that you have. And this is the time to send them to a, a sales page. And then that's where on your sales page, it's really important that you find out what are they looking for here. Right. You might think that they're going to be looking for all of the information that you possibly have. And that may or may not be true. They might be looking for all that information, or maybe they're just looking for one specific thing. And if you don't know what that one specific thing is because you haven't tested it, then you may end up hardly converting into this traffic as well because you're just inundating them with all of this content, all of, you know, this super long video that you made that looks really cool, but doesn't actually address their pain point. And so this is, again, once you've got them in that stage of the funnel where they could potentially convert, it's really important that you understand what do they need at this stage of the funnel in order to convert. So that's when A-B testing comes in, right? Because you've already tested all this stuff and you know the answer to that question, right? Exactly, exactly. If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. So how does, uh, this conveniently is my next question. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, you know, A-B testing is common in websites, in email, in advertising. How does psychology work into it and how does it help you optimize? Well, let me tell you first how most companies approach A-B testing. And this does not involve psychology. <laughs> most companies, when they start thinking about A-B testing, it is either highest paid person in the room saying, we need to do this. And then the marketing team goes and figures out how to A-B test their idea. Right. Or it's a marketer that goes on to a competitor's website and goes, what are they doing that we're not? Oh, they have a chat feature. Hey, let's try that. Oh, they have a video background. That looks kind of cool. Let's try that. Yeah. Now, none of that is psychology, right? And, and now none of this is bad necessarily. It's, you, it's just not very strategic, right? It's just kind of, well, let's try some stuff. It's a, it's a crapshoot, really. You're, you're rolling the dice on your testing strategy based on just some random idea that comes up. Opinion. Yeah, opinion. So the psychology can come in to really help you think through instead of just what does my boss think? What does uh, my competitor do? Thinking through what could my audience be looking for? And so we actually have kind of broken the psychology aspect down into a few different categories that helps us think through our, our customers' uh, website experiences and so I'll, I'll just run through these real quick and we can talk about them. But sure. the different areas that we kind of look at specifically is first value proposition. Yeah. And with value proposition, you want to ask yourself not just 
what is my value proposition or value propositions, but what value proposition is going to resonate best with my audience? And again, this is something that you need to test. And this is an awesome test to run for any business to figure out, okay, I've got five things that people love about my products. They are, you know, if, if this is an e-commerce site, I've got made in the USA, I've got free shipping, I've got all natural ingredients, I've got uh, a 30-day money-back guarantee. You know, I've got all these things and all these things are great value propositions, but maybe people don't care that it's made in the USA. Mm -hmm. Maybe people don't care that it's all natural. Maybe the only thing they really care about is your free shipping. Right. (laughs) Or maybe they only care about the money-back guarantee. And so you need to figure out what value proposition is going to resonate. So that's the first thing. The second thing is your call to action Call to action is a must-have on any page of any website. Of course. And with your call to action, it's also important to think through what call to action are people going to be expecting and what will they respond best to? If this is for a service, if I'm a lead generation company, will people respond better to get a free demo? Are they going to respond best to talk to an expert, get a free evaluation? Or are they going to respond better to something like start saving money today? Sure. You know, something yeah. that's super ambiguous. And so that also, you want to think through the psychology because if you come on too strong, people may be resistant to that. If you come on too weak, it may not prompt them to take action. And so that's where some of the, you know, psychology comes in of thinking through, let's give a bunch of different options, some that are on the really strong end, some that are on the really weak end. And let's figure out what what is prompting people to take action. Then we talk about content. Mm -hmm. Content is something that every site has to have. This is where you are giving people information about your service, your product, whatever it is. And content, because it's important, because it's a necessity, most companies go totally nuts on content. They will have way too much content and and not saying that a lot of content is a bad thing necessarily. It's just, again, going back to the psychology aspect, a lot of content can cause anxiety if people don't want to see it or if they're not ready to see it yet. And so this is where the testing aspect comes in of figuring out when's the right time to show people a lot of content and where should it be located and what else should be around our content. You know, and what format do people want that content in? Do they want my video or would they like text that says the exact same thing that's in the video? Right. People can sometimes be really resistant to multimedia type content. Do you want to take the, uh, the kind of wait, there's more approach? Sometimes. Yeah. And so sometimes giving people a good hook that grabs their interest initially and then you give them more content progressively as they move throughout your website experience or throughout your funnel. In fact, here's, I'll give you an example of a test that we just ran for a client that kind of opened our eyes. So this was an e-commerce website. Most e-commerce websites follow the same format. You've got a homepage where you feature a bunch of products. You click on a product category and you get a category page that has 15 to 20 products per page. And you show them the, the product image, you show them the price, the name of the product, maybe the reviews. Right. And then once people click on that product, you take them to a product detail page. And that product detail page is 
going to have all of your product information. Well, on the actual uh, category page, most, most companies put prices on their category page. We actually ran a test to go, is this too early to show people prices? Mm -hmm. Should we have them focused on should we have them focused on just the product images or should we have them focus on the actual price itself? Is that an important conversion uh, metric at this point? So we, we tested removing the price from the category page and it increased conversion rates by like 30% huh. removing the price. So that told us, okay, people aren't ready for the price yet, either that or by removing the price, we focused their attention on the product itself instead of on comparing prices, and that got them more bought into the actual product. So again, this idea of, of content is critical. Figuring out if we show people content too early and they're not ready for it, they might be thinking about all the wrong things. So this is, again, where testing gets really fun. So those are kind of like the three, I think, levers that we, that we can pull on our websites with value propositions, call to action content. And then there's other things that just happen sometimes. And I, and I categorize this as just distractions in general. So yeah. sometimes we end up putting too much stuff on our site and this creates distractions for our audience. And, you know, I've run hundreds of tests at this point for, for, you know, dozens of different clients and just about anything on your website could be a distraction. Yeah. So a video could be a distraction. A picture could be a distraction. Your content might be a distraction. Anything that is taking people's attention away or diverting their attention from your offer can cause issues on your site. And so this is another area where testing becomes really fun because what you want to think about, and this is where you can think psychologically about your, your customer journey, it's fun to just outline what are all of the things on our site that might be distracting people. And we'll do this with our clients. We'll go through and we'll make a list, just a bullet point list and say, this might be, this might be, this might be. You end up with 15 things on a page. These, all these things could be distracting. I don't know if they're distracting, but they might be. Yeah. And then you go through and start to systematically test through these and you go, let's find out. Let's find out if this content right here is helping or hurting conversion rates. Let's see what happens when we take it off. Yeah. Oh, hey, we took it off and conversion rates went up. Okay. It turns out that was a distraction. So those are... You know, now I've I've talked your ear off here for several minutes, but those are kind of some of the big fundamental areas that when you're when you're talking about applying psychology to market marketing strategy, if you can think through and ask yourself again the question in these different categories of what does my user want to see? Right. What might they think if I show them this instead of this? How will they respond? How do we think they'll respond differently? That becomes a much more strategic approach than, hey, let's try this thing that my boss just said. Sure. And I think your last point there about distractions, there's so many distractions in this world as it is that you want to be as focused as possible when you're presenting an offer, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and the, the big thing too is, so psychologists have done some research on people's behavior online. And interestingly, when someone goes to a brand new website they've never been to before, this is not to Amazon where they're going to buy something no matter what, but to your site, they've never been there before. People typically give about two to three seconds yep. of mental effort. They'll, they'll expend two to three seconds 
And in that two to three seconds, there are hundreds of things that are firing off in your brain simultaneously that your audience probably can't even tell you about. Yeah. If you were to ask your audience, how come you didn't buy from me today? They can't mention all those hundreds of things. They can maybe tell you one or two of them, but all of those different hundreds of things are going to be weighing in on whether or not they stay on your site. Things like, do I know what I'm supposed to do? Is this relevant to what I'm looking for? Do I trust this site? Does this feel and, and look trustworthy? You know, is it simple and straightforward? How much time, how much money is this going to cost me? So they're weighing all of these things subconsciously of kind of the cost versus the benefit that they see in the first two to three seconds. And so it's really important that in those two to three seconds, you don't have things that are pulling their attention away from the value you're offering. And so that's, that's where, again, content might be really good, but maybe you don't want content to be the first thing they see. Because if the first thing they see is content, that's a cost to them. A cost that's going to take time to process. Sure. Same thing with you know showing price too early. That's a cost that you're introducing before they see the benefit. And so it's really, really important that you really, in, that, in those first two to three seconds, you're not distracting them with too much stuff. Well, you may have answered this last question uh, just now, but is there any advice you'd give a marketer looking to use psychology in their marketing and make it more effective? There's a lot of things I'd recommend, but I mean, if there was one thing that I was going to recommend, it would be anytime you try something, whether it works, whether it doesn't work, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but to start asking the question of why, why did this work? Why do I think this worked? And this, like, <laughs> it's so funny. I, you know, I worked in-house before I became an agency. Um, and when I was working in-house, I knew this concept. Sure. I knew that it's a good idea to ask, why did this work? Why didn't this work? But I just never did it. You were just thankful it did work, right? That's... Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> and it's so easy to get you know, inundated with to-do lists and other initiatives that it's like, okay, boom, hey, I got a positive result. Good. I don't have to spend much more time on this. And you move on to the next thing. But it, it, I, can't even, I can't even tell the audience how much more beneficial, I, how, how much better of a marketer I've become when I sit down and ask, why did this work? Let me list out, and this is what I'll do. I'll do a bullet point list. Let me list out all of the reasons why I think this worked. Because you may not always know. Sometimes you know, but sometimes you think you know. And so you'll list out three or four or five different reasons why. I mentioned removing price. Why do I think this worked? It was too early to show price. Uh, we haven't shown enough benefit. Um, not having price focused attention on the product images. Uh, okay, those are three totally different reasons why I think this worked. Well, guess what? Now that's three more tests that I can run because I can dive in and go, okay, if it was the product image, if focusing more attention on the product image was what worked, let's put even more attention there. Sure. Let's test bigger product images. Let's test different product images. Or maybe let's even test smaller product images and see what happens. Okay, if it was too early to show them the price, maybe we should show something else here. Yeah. Should we highlight maybe a value proposition? Should we highlight some urgency, you know, four products left in stock or something like that? You know, what, what could we show here instead of the price that might increase people's likelihood to keep 
clicking through. And so it, it, when you ask those questions of why, it might just seem like a fruitless exercise, but it actually can give you a lot of great strategic value. And the key is, it seems to me, is to not hold on to any preconceived notions, right? Absolutely. If you will, if you're willing to challenge your ideas, and I, this one of the things I love about my job is I am constantly being proven wrong, <laughs> and that might seem like a bad thing, but it's really exciting to me because you know, literally, almost every day I will run a test that worked really well for another client that doesn't work for a client, maybe even in the same industry. And you go, why did this happen? And you might, you know, want to bash your head against the wall because you're like, oh my gosh, there's no rhyme or reason to any of this. Like what's going on here? Or you might get really excited and go, this is freaking awesome. Like I get another opportunity to learn about my audience that provides a ton of value to me. It provides a lot of value to my company. And so that's, what's really fun to me is if you are willing to be constantly proven wrong, or at least to challenge your own assumptions, like you mentioned, you, you make yourself invaluable to any organization because most, especially like executives and, you know, and, and business owner types, they like to get some data, make an assumption and just start powering forward at a hundred miles an hour. And if you can say, wait, hold on, these assumptions we made might not be right. Look, look at this data here. Okay. Let's shift. Okay, let's let's do some more testing. Oh, time to shift again. It's it's just it's a great combination of uh, organizational skills that you can bring to the table. Chris, this has been a great chat. Psychology at the core of marketing. Chris, thanks for being my guest here on Confessions of a Marketer. You bet. Thank you so much for having me. I really want to thank Chris for being with us. A deep subject to say the least, and one we'll definitely revisit. Next time, Rob Whedon of Deal Signal is with us to talk about data in marketing, so stay tuned. This episode of Confessions of a Marketer was written, produced, and edited by yours truly. T. Jordan of A-Class Productions wrote the theme music. Confessions of a Marketer is a trademark of Reed Edwards Global Inc., and this episode is copyright 2018. I'm Mark Reed Edwards. See you next time. You've never tried to eyeball six feet as often as you do now. You wear a mask, you wash your hands, and you've stayed within the walls of your apartment for more hours than you care to add up. But unless you live in a smoke-free building, you're not exactly home-free. Secondhand smoke drifting through the cracks in walls or sink drains carries toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. And right now, lung health is key. Go to TobaccoFreeCA.com to learn how to stay safe.